listening to Impact Insights, a public relations and communications podcast by the Impact Agency. Hello and welcome to the Impact Insights, a podcast from the Impact Agency. I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO, and with me is Frances Dwyer, our General Manager. Hello, Frances. Hello. Nice to be with you again, finally. Oh my gosh, it's been so long, so long, so long. Hey, um, I know we've got Leah here, our producer, um, but I, Leah, turn your microphone on for a sec. Can you let everybody know where you are? Hello. Uh, sure. I am in Greece. And what are you doing in Greece? I'm working. I am. <laughs> <laughs> in between yeah but you're traveling you're traveling the world it's awesome yeah it is um pretty good um but yes i'm a digital nomad so but people actually in the digital nomad community don't actually like that term uh people call themselves traveler or a remote worker (laughs) it's good to know that we've labeled it rejected it and have a new label (laughs) absolutely Well, it's nice to see you, um, see your face again, Lee. We haven't seen you for so long. And Francis, when was the last time we did this? Uh, before the cascading influenza, COVID, gastro, ankles, oh, teeth. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's been a rocky. Oh, infected finger. Yeah, it's been a rocky old yeah. winter. Yeah. I feel like it started in <laughs> April and we're in August now. And, yeah, I'm sure we did a podcast not that long ago, but it feels like about a year ago that we last caught up. Yeah. feels so, so, so long ago. Hey, so I thought we'd take this opportunity to have a look at um, something that we did two years ago and that we're starting to look at again now. It's the PESL model where you start looking at things that are happening in the world that are political, um, economic, social technology legal and environment like we had a session this week we've got we've done the pest part of the we soul, we've still got to tool part of, <laughs> we've still got to do the tool later on and we've got a meeting next week to talk about it but I thought what a great place to start is having a look at what we talked about last time in 2020 when we went into lockdown it's it's a model that we use particularly when there's turmoil in the world or in your business just to put into context what we um, do for our clients. So um, I, I see you've here, we, you know, we leverage the PESL yeah, so, um, insights. So it's essentially, for, it's a combination of being informed by, you know, insights and experts and media commentary and benchmarks, but also observation. Um, so it's combining those elements and then considering how do these trends impact our clients, our business, and also the context in which we're communicating to target audiences? Because if their lives are shifting, we need to know about that to make sure that we um, connect and cut through in the right way. And so looking back at 2020, we got a lot of things right and there's some hilarious things <laughs> that, like, we we couldn't predict it. There's no way anyone else could have predicted it. No, because, like, what, when we did this session, wasn't it around, like, April 2020, like, just as everything was locking down and resetting and the world sort of had shifted beneath us? And, again, it was informed by what we were seeing, what we were hearing and what our clients and um, uh, target sectors, you know, were experiencing and it really was, there was a sense that the bottom was going to fall out from mm. underneath us, that, that 
you know, the world was going to come crashing down into a Great Depression and um, that all of the financial and um, social trends that occurred in the last Great Depression were going to be replicated in a modern society. But um, look, some elements of that came true, but then the opposite almost came true in other ways. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to that in a, in a, in a minute. But, um, God, it's... Um... It's so interesting looking back and then and looking at today. You, you think about, let's start with P out of the PESL model. Um, politics, completely different federal government than we had back in 2020. Um, you think about there was the poor handling of the vaccination rollout. You know, state and territories went up yours to the federal government and started shutting the borders and wouldn't let anybody in. Um, and the power a, shifted, didn't it? It was absolutely. Um, as citizens, we, you know, those who aren't necessarily invested in politics day to day, as citizens, realise that the majority of services and um, access and freedoms that they have in their day to day lives are actually dictated and controlled and supported by state governments. Um, you know, their access to healthcare, their access to um, be you know rules and regulations around where they could and couldn't go were actually state decisions, not federal ones. So there was a real shift in power to our premiers across the country, and um, the federal government was largely seen as like the bank, you know, to to pay out the stimulus and just get on with the job of making sure the country got vaccinated, which of course was um, a big old bungle. It certainly was. So there was a lot of disunity, but if you fast forward to today, we've got a new federal government and, you know, what we've seen so far, it's champion a lot of issues that are close to both our hearts and to mm-hmm. impacts and impacts core values around the environment, First Nations people, respect for the elderly, um, domestic violence leave. It looks like we have a more empathetic government, which I'll, I'm just, I want to put a question out to you or I'll ask you, what do you think this empathetic government means to business leaders? Is, it, is there now an opportunity for business leaders to be more empathetic? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of interesting elements to the sort of the shift in tone that we've seen at the sort of highest level of leadership in the country. One is that it can't be ignored that this is the most diverse parliament that the country has ever seen. Hooray! And diverse... Yeah, and diversity and inclusion has been a big focus of corporate Australia for a long time, but has really come um, to be a driving force and focus at at an executive and board level in the last couple of years. So I think there's a sense of understanding that diversity of thought, diversity in background, diversity in gender, all of these things actually enrich and add value to an organization's culture and ultimately the bottom line. So I think there's a sense that if that can occur in business, it can also occur in in politics. That's sort of one sort of mirrors held up to each other. The other thing is um, I think what we saw in the last um, couple of years before the change in government was a lot of corporate leaders um, standing up and standing on soapboxes almost about social environmental and governance issues that traditionally would be something that government led on or announced on or spoke on. Um, But then all of a sudden corporates were filling the gap where the progress wasn't happening in a way that they wanted to see. Now that there's, um, I guess, more empathy coming from our 
federal leaders, I wonder if that some corporate leaders all not feel the need to um, push so hard. You know, the, the you know the the Climate Two Hundred, for example, or you know the hundred top organisations that signed the petition for a climate bill. They're now seeing that change come to fruition. So will they? you know, roll on to the next challenge and start lobbying government for that in a collective or will we see more of an alignment? The other interesting thing is um, the idea of collaboration because um, the first national cabinet sat after the new government um, came into power and we saw leaders from the, you know, from the coalition, coalition premiers saying that it was uh, one of the most productive and you know, collaborative sessions they've had. So this idea that it doesn't need to be a turf war, I think we're seeing that a little bit in some sectors such as, um, you know, finance, um, tech and other professional services sectors where there's the idea of like collective change for the sector versus just one business. So that could be another interesting trend that we might observe in the corporate world. Uh, look, it's really interesting, the um, this leadership piece around the government and business and who's putting a mirror up to who is, you know, the government is supposed to reflect the, the society, um, but it's been slow to reflect society because of the previous government. So the business has gone ahead and is reflecting society. But you've got, you've got that really nice mix that's happening, but you've also got at the top end of town, you see I... Commonwealth Bank this week announced a $9.6 billion profit, but then is coming out and talking about how its customers are not under stress at the moment, that they've banked um, some mortgage repayments ahead, ahead, so they're not under stress. I, th- I just feel like it's a little bit tone deaf. We've got this government that's come in that's quite empathetic, mm-hmm. and then you've got the top end of town that it's still all about the profits. Yeah, it's a tricky territory, isn't it? Because I think that there, there's this elevated expectation of leadership, both at a federal level, born out of frustration from all sides of politics, right? Like this isn't just about whether you're, whether one's politics aligns with the previous government or the new government. I think there was a general consensus based on, you know, the way that the votes went, that there was a frustration with a lack of what we truly consider to be leadership, right? Like moving forward, directing um, progress for our nation. So considering that we collectively are asking that of um, government, but also of business, I think that the expectation is that businesses and business leaders need to deliver on all fronts. So they must deliver on profits, purpose, and people. And I think it's going to be really interesting as we progress into, you know, the economic doom and gloom um, that we're we're going to touch on next in how businesses respond to this because we're in a different context. You know, ESG is now a key shareholder consideration. It's not just progressive consumers that are impacting um, business profits and, and shareholdings. It is an expectation that you have environmental social governance Uh, practices that you have targets that you're achieving more sustainable business practices so with that in mind um, how are they going to continue to deliver on the profit that shareholders also expect as cost to open doors increases the other thing that I think is interesting is um, the incoming government if we think about the political shift 
has led on social justice issues and has really focused on, um, you know, adopting the Uluru Statement from the Heart in Full, announcing the, you know, the announcement of the proposed referendum question. They're leading with the social issues that they feel have been completely ignored or turned into political footballs in the last few years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that's reflected in the way that business moves forward and whether they decide to become vocal about their support of the referendum or of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. You know, we saw in the plebiscite that corporates um, created their own campaigns for yes or no. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this referendum because whilst, um, you know, I'm an optimist and feel like this is a really exciting and important um, thing that our country needs to do, it's probably going to get a little bit ugly as well because there's going to be the other voices that come out. So I think we need to be emotionally prepared for that. So if, if we've got companies that do come out in support or against um, the the referendum, do we need them to be authentic? They need to be linked in some mm. way to be able to respond. Yeah, well, I absolutely. Think, um, like you think you about know, Alan think Joyce, about the, yeah, like he was speaking from personal yeah, experience, no, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yep. can you imagine how tone deaf it would be for a privileged white guy to stand up and talk about how important the referendum was to them? Like, no, it, it absolutely needs to no. create a um, create space for First Nations people to have the floor, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on to the E in pestle. E is for economics. I feel like I'm in play school. Um, <laughs> I, I want to start with the, um, one of the observations that we made back in 2020. Oh, everyone was wrong. And Even I, the Reserve and, Bank was so and, wrong. <laughs> and, I, and, and I quote, house prices to come down, nationally down 30%, selling holiday homes, investment properties that rely on students and short-term renters. And I went, oh, my God, how wrong are we? How wrong, how are wrong we? was in, everyone? Um, Byron Bay property prices in the last two years increased by 44%. And they've got a homelessness crisis in the Northern Rivers to go with it. It's the opposite. It's insane. Uh, I know. You know, I know where the, the prices are starting to drop nationally with the, with the yes. interest rate rises, but um, I just wanted to go, oh, my God, that's an oh, my God moment. Well, like don't Down feel bad, 30%. Nicole, because, you know, the governor of the Reserve Bank got it completely wrong too, so... <laughs> Yes, he did. <laughs> um, secondly, um, under our economics um, title, we've got um, Australians have switched into pre uh, preservation mode even though the economy isn't at the bottom yet. It will be hard to get people to buy much more than the essentials in the coming months as people preserve what they have. Um, you know, this economic doom and gloom has really hit, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that we're already feeling it every day as consumers. You know, we're, we're all acutely aware that the cost of essentials like fruit, vegetables, staples, petrol has all dramatically increased this year. Um, but I think to your point earlier about what Combank said with, you know, uh, forward payments, et cetera, on mortgages, there's also um, a sense that there's some, maybe for some people there's savings in the bank, uh, having not done much in the last couple of years and that there's a bit of a safety net. So we may not be feeling the full force of this downturn in our day-to-day -day lives just yet. Um, but it's in, 
this is where I wanted to talk about how the context is really interesting because if you think about when we were heading into the GFC, it was a very different context because we didn't have the power wasn't with the people to the degree that it is today. You know, even going and into the 90s recession too, you know, the capitalist context is very different. Um, we're in the midst of significant talent shortages across multiple industries. Like there, I don't think there is one industry that isn't crying out for skills right now uh, and that lack of skilled migration uh, around the world has definitely, ha- you know, significantly contributed to that. But what we also see this time around is that consumers at this stage anyway are still continuing to make sometimes more expensive choices that align with their values, whether that be I'm only going to purchase Australian made or I'm only go- I'm going to align myself with a social impact brand and stick with them. So it'll be really interesting to see if that consumer behaviour changes and also what businesses are going to do because they don't, you know, traditionally the traditional business model is when times get tough, you know, headcount cut, um, but they may not have heads to cut this time because I think um, just this week it, it there was a report in the AFR about um, the major professional services firms and Deloitte alone has 1,500 jobs listings right now and that doesn't wow. include the fact that some of those listings have multiple roles listed in them and some internal roles they might not even be advertising externally. So that's just one firm. Uh, so when you think about the sheer volume of people that are trying to be sourced and found. Yes, maybe some roles will be retired, but the smart organisations are looking at how they can move talent within the business to address the growth areas versus the declining areas rather than, you know, broad brush, oh, we've got to cut, let's just, you know, 50%, um, which I think uh, the team was just saying that Groupon's let over 500 employees go, probably from what we understand predominantly in the U.S., um, which, you know, talks more to, I guess, that sort of leisure experience, industry, discretionary spend, you know, certain industries are going to get hit harder than others. It also feels like the, the big end of town have been quick to react to a potential economic downturn, recession, um, discretion, you know, less with discretionary spending. Um, I, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if they've been too fast to react because you remember when COVID hit, it was sack everybody, sack everybody, and now and now they're struggling to to hire people. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if there's a it's kind of like two halves, I guess, where we've got people that are are in fear of this global downturn, and then there's people that are a little bit more optimistic and gone. You know, we've 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 been through COVID for the last two years. An economic yeah, we thought the world was ending two years ago and we got through that. So what's a little economic downturn? Oh, you know, yeah, it might be tough, but oh, well, we'll get through it. Yeah, yeah there is a bit of a sense of that, isn't it? Um, our sort of baseline um, ambient stress or I think this is one of the terms we've been discussing is this idea that there's, oh, there's kind of a lot of little things bubbling around us at the moment but can't really give any too much energy to each of them because, uh, then we'll think that, you know, the world's closing in again when the reality is we've all continued, we've all cracked on. I think that the pandemic's impact has been uh, unevenly distributed across society and there's an emerging sort of haves and have-nots or those who um, haven't been able to recover from the stresses of the pandemic and are now faced with more challenges and those who were cocooning or largely um, saved from the financial 
um, potential financial stresses of the impact of the pandemic, sorry, and are now going, hmm, I might be a bit careful here, but I'm still going to go on that holiday that I've been planning for three years, you know. So it's a little bit of a different scenario for those two camps. I feel like the divide is getting greater. We, we were, even mm, yesterday we were like talking that, about, you know, side hustles, are they a thingy anymore? And you, and we were talking about that it was, um, you know, side hustles seem to be for the privilege for those white-collar workers, you know, the blue-collar workers, they don't have frigging time to have a side hustle. They're trying to put food on the mm, table. They're, mm. you know, looking after a family. They're um, working ridiculously long hours. That side hustle is is, yeah. is not even in their remit. Yeah, and now instead it's more like, those who are trying to make ends meet as the cost of living increases, it's not so much a side hustle. It's just picking up yet another job, you know, the gig economy, driving an Uber, picking up an extra shift. Um, that's that it's, it's just making ends meet as opposed to, you know, following your dreams. And, and that, um, I called it work-life balance. What did you call it yesterday? You called it work, live to work or work oh, to um, live? Live <laughs> work to live I think work to live I can't I'm sure I something very clever and catchy that I cannot currently recall uh but I think I was saying how for a lot of people particularly those in the more privileged um you know or, or the industries where you can work remotely right so professional services anything where you can do the majority of your job through zoom or teams and online there's greater hang on a minute in, we're, innately we're, now greater- we're talking about Leah our producer. <laughs> yeah, this is, correct. There is innately now greater flexibility. And to be honest, there's no need for Leah to be in the same location as us, even in the same country as us. Technology allows her to be wherever she wants, other than the moon. I think you have to be on Earth. But other than that, <laughs> we can make the time differences work, the technology work. So, you know, that's opened up. Uh, and I think also just the fear, like if I'm honest, I spent two years really anxious about um, my son who's asthmatic, what's going to happen if he gets COVID. Like that was just an underlying little thing in the back of my mind until he got it and then thank- thankfully got such a mild um, such, such a mild case uh, after being double vaxxed and we were so fortunate and that re- I just was washed with relief, you know, and even my I'm lucky enough to still have my grandparents and they're in their 90s and they recently got COVID and I was absolutely terrified and it was very scary but thanks to antiviral drugs and many many doses of the vaccine they're okay but if something had happened to them two years ago I would have been in that you know other mindset that we were talking about earlier where everything's going down and and how will we recover so now that we are you know experiencing these more positive recovery stories I think we think we can get through this too right a lot of people like well we'll just get through this as well no absolutely the um, you, you mentioned um, Faith Popcorn's the uh, cocooning phenomenon that we all kind of entered into in 2020. We all stayed at home, or we had mm. to stay at home, but we all um, were really protective of our family. You know, put the dinner over our head, and hopefully it'll all, it'll all go away. Um, <laughs> a, a new uh, acronym has entered my vocabulary called HOGO, the hassle of going out. It seems to be a, um, a bit of a phenomenon <laughs> in um, 2022 um, and I I fully admit that this is um, right up my alley. You know, we've, we've had the rain yeah, as well. It's, it's funny, so isn't it? Go, because who wants to go out? It's yes. been raining. It's, <sighs> you know, it's cold. There's a spike now in COVID and it's really cases. funny because you, you and I, you, you and I are both 
extroverts, right? So we wanted to go out, like, let's go, let's see people again, let's reemerge. But that constant push and pull of, you know, stuff it, let's go, let's make up for lost time versus I really don't want to get COVID, influenza, gastro, oh, hand, foot and what mouth. Am I, I don't want to get all the things that are flying around. And, and what am I going to wear? I need to go on holiday in two weeks. <laughs> I just said, what yeah. am I going to wear? Look at what you're wearing. What are you going to wear when you go out? You're in your bloody trackies. Uh, <laughs> I just did Pilates for my uh, physical and mental yeah, health right. and I have not yet got changed. Uh, but, yes, you're right. This is probably I'm wearing what I, my uniform was for yeah. the majority of the lockdowns, which is, you know, you're either wearing tights or trackies and then all of a sudden you're putting clothes back on again. But I think that it's funny, like the waves of of collective experience, there was the languishing as well. I felt like 2020 to, 2021, sorry, the second half, um, there was a, a really interesting article I think in the New York Times or on Medium that talked about the concept of languishing. I think Adam Grant wrote it and, um, oh, did I feel that, that idea of just, oh, why even, why even, you know? <laughs> but then there was the FOMO factor of like Europe opening up while we were all locked down and just being oh, just, like, just oh, if only just... we could leave our house, if only we were vaccinated. You like know? <laughs> WA and Queensland would, would have loved oh, yeah, to just have been WA in never having the never... <laughs> They actually, and Leah's been there too. She's basically been where everything's open. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we fell over, we reemerged, and then when we came back out, we're like, yes, and then, oh, my God, it's tiring. I went to Mumbrella 360 last month. So exciting to finally go to a live event, a live conference, the energy, the ideas, the exchange. I was exhausted. <laughs> it's so exhausting physically going to something again and interacting with people and it's lovely but yeah I forgot that that's a special type of energy and a muscle that really hasn't had much of a workout in the last couple of years um two, two more things I want to have a chat about um nostalgia um you got me or my daughter got me onto watching stranger things oh my god the 80s love the 80s, lived through the 80s. Uh, but we did talk about how um, when we start talking about the 80s, how we forget about all the, the the things that probably wouldn't resonate today or shouldn't be spoken about today. It's funny how we, we block that all out. Um, when, when, when is the best time to use nostalgia? I, I often go, you can use nostalgia if you've got that authentic link to nostalgia so there's a lot of heritage brands out there that have the right to be nostalgic I don't think you know Facebook can Facebook be nostalgic or probably you know, only to Instagram? Gen Z <laughs> and yeah. they're not on it and they're not on it so it's <laughs> <laughs> not on it <laughs> so probably not uh yeah I think um it's interesting lots of brands are like doubling up and doubling down on nostalgia so like you said, if if they were, uh, they're a brand that's been around for you know thirty years or more, then they just like the cycles of fashion that happen every twenty to thirty years. I think they feel they have the right to revisit their origins or revisit their original jingle or colors or themes in a way that they know their audience will remember and or their children, <laughs> you know, or um, extended audience might also be attracted to. And the doubling up is we're seeing a lot of collabs that are very nostalgic. So, you know, Vegemite and baked beans, for example, you know, these these sort of staple, simple, um, 
items that exist in almost every household in the country coming together as one. Uh, you know, that idea of, oh, that's familiar, that's safe, um, that doesn't challenge me, it doesn't ask me to be something I'm not, it doesn't ask me to make dramatic changes, it actually asks me to go back to an easy place. I think that that tactic works really well in times of turmoil and let's be honest, we've had a few years of that now. It started with the bushfires and it's just been one thing after another. So this is really why we're seeing nostalgia marketing having a real moment. Um, but to your point, when it doesn't work is when uh, there really isn't a link between uh, the brand and the time period that they're looking to reflect. Um, <clears throat> with the Kate Bush single going to the top of the charts, you know, those of us who remember um, when the song was popular and or just remember Kate Bush the first time around are like, yeah, yeah, this has always been a great song, guys. Like, it's awesome that you found it. Um, but gosh, there was a whole side of TikTok that was obsessed with like putting Gen Z in their place about you didn't discover this, guys. Like, you didn't discover it. You just watched Stranger Things and then you liked the song, you know. It's like we don't we don't need to school people on whether or not they're allowed to like things from the past, but that, that was a whole phenomenon that happened. So I think that that's the other thing about nostalgia is it creates a sense of, um, conversation and an idea of ownership of who owns the, the memories, yep. you know? Yeah. And um, that healthy tension between generations is always something that sparks conversation and um, sort of drives uh, probably clicks and viral content as well. Okay. Talk about heroes because mm. I think business heroes Who's in your particular. Who's hero, Nicole? Who's my hero? Um, my mum. Yeah. Yeah. And what made, other than her being the most amazing mum, mm. what do you think the enduring, like, qualities have made her a hero to you? What were the qualities? She was a working mum. She balanced mm -hmm. home and work. She was a leader in her field. Um, you know, I think she just, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, said I could do anything I put my mind to, you know. So regardless, like sex, the yeah. gender never came in, never came into it. So, you know, I've always said yeah. mum was my hero. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Because I think that's some of the themes that we're seeing in sort of the heroes or the people that are being held up in our society today. It's that idea that um, of leadership, of um, being passionate about something, of going for the thing that you want and supporting the people you care about when we think about, you know, Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins, we think about the rise of independence in parliament. These are um, people who are not conforming to what has come before and standing up for what they believe in. And while I think that every person on the street would agree that they are valuable qualities, they haven't always been valued at a societal level sometimes those people and still today are seen as disruptive or disrespectful or um inappropriate you know we just think about how grace tame didn't smile at scott morrison at the australia day ceremony um for the new australian of the year uh being announced and a lot of people were like she was inappropriate and rude and disrespectful as opposed to recognizing that the two of them had no relationship in fact a very fractured relationship and to others, she was seen as being authentic mm. and not being fake. Mm. So, yeah, and but I think you're right, like with that early, you know, to go back to your earlier point about 
empathy and being human in leadership, I think there's been a bit of a shift in the way that's covered and discussed and the idea that people are imperfect humans, I hope and have observed, has become a bit more mainstream, which is really refreshing. So who's your hero then, Pryor? Uh, it's really hard for me to pinpoint one. Um, it, you know, the sentimental choice would definitely be my dad, uh, because he's, I've also lost, you know, lost him at a young age and you lost your mom at a young age. So talk about nostalgia, you know, you've got that additional, (laughs) if we're going to look at this like marketers, you know, um, and you try to look back clearly, but probably with rose tinted glasses and amplify their strengths and probably push away their weaknesses like he was such a stress head sometimes you know ignore that bit but I think um you know similar themes for me are um well both my parents really uh around that idea of um treating others with respect like treat others the way you wish for them to treat you and the idea that um if you put your put your mind to something and and try hard that you can achieve and that you can be better at things. Um, not the idea that you have to come first, but that achievement comes through effort and hard work and that you will always be supported if you put your mind to something. They're all themes that I've definitely grown up with. Um, but yeah, it's funny, you know, we were talking about this recently with some friends about how much pressure or consideration there is in kids today about academic performance and how much it's influenced by family and that balance between aspiration, and this is societal too, I guess, like how much should we aspire for something greater than what we have versus that being too much pressure on not just being happy with what we've got um, and getting that balance right. So that kind of comes back to some of these themes, right, of do we chase, you know, the haves and the have-nots and the idea of eternal growth and constant capitalist growth versus Maybe maybe things do need to slow down a little bit to even out the, the, some of the things that accelerated too fast over the last couple of years or inflation that has accelerated too fast over the last sort of six to eight months um, and getting that balance right. I wonder if our um, – I, I just wonder if if our thinking has shifted about what is what makes a hero. Mm. You know, think about um, biz, business heroes and – did we have, you know, Jeff Bezos on a pedestal? A lot of the and, world did um, and, and still does. Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. and Whereas now we're seeing more yeah. scrutiny. I think the yeah. halos are slipping, definitely, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And um, the idea of uh, financial success at all costs um, might still be accepted by some circles, possibly more in the US, um, but certainly not. Um, you know, in the land of the tall poppy syndrome here. Um, yeah, they're being chopped down. And, and, you know, we talked about Alan Joyce earlier and he definitely had some moments in the sun in the last few years but isn't having them at the moment. <laughs> Not at all. So I think no, he's actually no, he's... doing like a 12-hour shift as a baggage handler each week at the moment to help make up for the staffing shortages. <laughs> what a fall from grace. <laughs> Well, I hope he is because that's a bloody good place to start, right, to rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, the COO sent sent an email around to all of the leadership saying that we need to solve this crisis from within until we have permanent staff again. So it's not a bad idea getting your hands dirty. Oh, Leah, has your luggage arrived everywhere that you've gone? Oh, thumbs up. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) No problem. I swear I've had like... 
I've had associated stress through the internet, seeing people like my bag hasn't arrived and I'm like, oh, those poor people lost their stuff and, oh, God. All right, makes me go, okay, that's why I'm not travelling yet. I'm not travelling yet. <laughs> um, just in case you didn't um, realise, we've moved on to S under social. So mm. um, we've done our oh, yeah. pairs now. We've just got to do the tool. Uh, we can do that at, a, at, a, at, a, at another time and, and maybe in our next podcast. But I'm going to wrap us up. Some things we got right from 2020, um, it's interesting to look back Um on what we said was going to happen or what did happen in 2020 compared mm. to what's happening now. Um, we'll share um, some of that information in, in the um, show notes. But thank you for joining us. I'm going to wrap us up and say goodbye. Um, this has been the Impact Insights podcast. I'm Nicole Webb and that, and that person there that I'm pointing to that you can't see that I'm pointing to. Oh, Hello, me, me, me. It's <laughs> Francis Dwyer. Thank you so much for listening and uh, stay safe. See you next time. Bye.